I get to be the principal of Elam Leadership College, and um, just if there's any people here who are thinking about Bible college, thinking about interning, uh, it is a full-time course. It's 15 hours a week practical. The rest is academic, and um, listen, it's fun. Can I encourage you, if you're a young person in this place, and you're going, man, I need to get deeper into Jesus. I need to grow my roots down deep. Come and speak to us after the service. Actually, I think Julie Mundy's here. She's another of our staff members. There she is. Julie, stand up. She's another one of our staff members. So please, um, see myself or Julie um, after the service. But even if you're someone else, you've been on the walk for a while, and perhaps, oh, this is prophetic. There is a person here who many, many years ago, you had a call of God on your life to do ministry. It was spoken over you. You believed it. And perhaps you even made steps in that direction, but then something happened and you stepped back. God is saying the call is still there. The promise still stands. There are some people in this who need to make a move towards the call of God. God says the time is now. So if that's you in that place, please come talk to me as well um, because I will try further to convince you. You better know what you're walking into. I will try further to convince you because I'm definitely biased about you doing internship in Jesus' name, okay? But it's good to be here and uh, I'm just gonna pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your words. It's living, it's active. It has the power to change us. And God, we just thank you right now for your presence in this place. Lord, we just take a moment to settle our hearts before you and set our eyes upon you. God, no word can change us. Lord, you are the power to change. We just thank you, Lord God, that you are the anointing that breaks the yoke of the enemy. You are the one who leads and guides into freedom. You are the one who leads and guides us into truth. We believe, Lord God, that hope is possible because Jesus is alive. You are our almighty, never-failing hope. And we set our eyes upon you. We pray you'd speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, recently we actually had our block course for Elam Leadership College, and uh, it was a whole lot of fun. We have three block courses a year where all of our students come from like around the, the nation. They come up for a week at Willow Park, and we have a block course. There's teaching, and there's a whole lot of fun. And one of the things that we do is we normally have night sessions where there's worship, and uh, then there's some teaching. And that's normally what we do, but I decided for the last block course of the year that we were going to have some fun in that session. And so we told the students that it was going to be just normal. We told titled it in the word to make them think like it was going to be serious and intense. But actually what we did was we blocked out all the windows. We locked the doors. We literally locked the doors. We decked out the room with like donuts and popcorn and balloons and costumes. And we had a massive Bible quiz. Don't freak out. There was still some Bible involved, okay? We still made sure there was some Bible involved. We did a bunch of challenges. We separated everyone into different teams. It was so much fun. We had a Mexican team. We called them the jalapenos. We had a French team. We called them the wee-wees, which I thought was truly funny. I came up with that. Thank you for that. I was just really wanted you to know that I came up with that because I thought that joke was really funny. But anyway, and the whole way through block course afterwards, everyone went wee-wee. You know, that became like a thing. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, back to the game. And the game was a whole lot of fun. Listen, the students ran in and they were so excited. Like they were expecting to have, you know, like some intense session, but actually we ended up having a whole lot of fun. But part of the game was we made up this game where every team had a mascot. And the idea was that you had to defend your mascot. You had to hold on to your mascot. If someone stole your mascot, they would get points. And if your mascot got stolen, you would lose points. Sounds good, right? And me thinking, oh, this is a Christian Bible college camp. Me thinking that way, I assumed that people would keep it civilized. They did not. It got very physical, very fast. And uh, I don't know, men are like okay with like tackling and things like that, but girls were like, I was like, stop it. <laughs> I was like, Pastor Luke is going to fire me. I'm two months into this job and he's already going to get rid of me. But anyway, it was so fun. 
everybody. There was tackling. There were headlocks. No, just joking. There was only one headlock. But you know... And then one of my like distinctive enduring memories of block course this time was seeing a pile of interns on the ground. And at the bottom of this pile was a growing man holding on to a soft toy for his dear life. Because in that moment, there was nothing more precious in the world to that growing man than that tiny wee little soft toy. Because how many people know that you hold on to that which is precious to you? Don't you? You hold on to that which is precious for you. And in that moment, there was nothing more precious in the world to that growing man than that little soft toy. But this principle that you hold on to that which is precious to you is important when we turn to our question today. We've been in a series called You Ask For It, Questions That You Ask. And the question that I'm going to be answering is, can I lose my salvation? The base note of this conversation is that you have to know that God holds on to that which is precious to Him. God holds on to dear life with that which is precious to Him. In fact, this is what it says in John 10, 28 to 29. It says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You've got to know today that there is not a cosmic tug of war going on over your soul. God is not holding on to your soul like he's in a tug of war and you are the rope. You serve a God, come on somebody, who is greater than all. He is the only uncreated being in the entire universe. There's no one who could compare to him. There's no one who could match him. He's the only star breather I know. He's the only one who can speak a world into motion. He is all powerful God. And he holds on to that which is dear to him. But that's great preaching. But some of you are already asking, well, Haley, if that is the case, What about the people who I started out in faith with who are no longer walking with God? What about the people who I started out serving Jesus with who aren't serving Jesus anymore? What about them? What happens to them? Well, traditionally, the church has handled this two ways. There's two key traditions. The first is called the Arminian method. This says that, yep, nothing can snatch you out of God's hand, but you can choose to jump out. The Arminian tradition says that you can lose your salvation, but only you can. The Calvinist tradition is slightly different. The Calvinist tradition says that if you are part of those who are saved, if you are part of the elect, you will automatically endure to the end. It says that if you leave the faith, you were never truly part of the faith. You were never truly part of the elect. This is what it says in Matthew 24, verse 13. It says, the one who endures to the end, they are saved. Calvinists would say that those who endure to the end are those who are chosen. Arminians would say that those who endure to the end are those who, with God's help, choose to. Now, we would slightly lead to the Arminian side, but the commonality of both these arguments is this. Both Calvinists and Arminians agree that it is those who endure to the end. Those are the ones who are saved. And so perhaps today the better question is not, can I lose my salvation? Perhaps the better question is, what is the nature of saving faith? Because if I need to endure in saving faith in order to be saved, then I better know what it's all about. You've got to know today that there is two parts of saving faith. Firstly, repentance, and secondly, faith. 
Because how many people know that part of faith is faith? <laughs> Deep teaching today with Haley Barrett. Cool, cool. This is what it says in the book of Acts. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's repentance. Romans says this, Romans 10.9, uh, excuse me, 10.9 to 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith, and you are saved. Repentance, turning from your sin, and putting your faith in the risen Christ, that is how we are saved. Now, the thing that you need to know about these things is this is not like a one and done situation. You don't one time repent. You don't one time put your faith in Jesus and then you're like, yep, I've ticked the box. I can move on from this now. Not a one and done situation. These are things that we persevere in. We continue in, in these things to the end in order to be saved. Now, for a second before I go on, I wanted to talk about the nature of repentance, the nature of faith. Because the truth is we as the church can make these things seem quite up in the air especially in today. People will say, don't talk to me about my faith. My faith is personal. They'll say, don't talk to me about my faith. My faith is private. Well, then how do you know that you have it? How do we know that you have it? How do you know that you have it? Well, let's talk about the nature of faith. This is what it says in Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, get this, and this is not of yourselves. In other words, you did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to merit it. You didn't behave in a certain way and it caused God to feel favor towards you so that he would extend his grace. No, 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 it had nothing to do with you. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. And let me tell you why, so that no one can boast. No one can be up in church this morning saying, listen, I'm boasting in my salvation because of how good you are. You have misunderstood the nature of grace. The nature of grace is that we did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to merit it. It came solely the moment that you put your faith in the gift of Jesus on the cross. This is what it says in James. James 2, 20 to 24. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Get this. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Hold on, that's confusing. Didn't Paul just finish telling us that we are saved solely through our faith in the grace gift of Jesus on the cross? And now James is here and saying that our faith is incomplete unless we act, unless we do something about it. Who's right here? Is it Paul or is it James? Well, it's both. You see, Paul is telling you how to become a Christian James is telling you how to act like one. Paul is saying this. He's saying, hey, listen, just so you know, 
You're only saved by putting your faith in the grace gift of Jesus on the cross. But James is saying the nature of faith is that it is not passive or inactive or stagnant. No, no, no. The nature of faith is that it is on the move. If you believe something, you're going to do something about it. You're going to act on it. That's why he says that our faith is made complete by our actions. He's saying, just so you know, the true nature of faith is that you do something about it. That's why Peter says on the day of Pentecost, when people say, how must you be saved? That's why he says, you repent and be baptized. Hold on, Peter. We know that baptism is not necessary for salvation. We know that because on the cross, Jesus looked to the thief that was on his left and said, today you will be with me on paradise. Let me tell you what the thief didn't do. The thief didn't say, well, get me down from here. I need to be baptized so I can go to paradise. No, what happened? He closed his eyes and the next moment he opened them, he was with Jesus in paradise. So we know that baptism is not necessary for salvation. So what is Peter doing? He's giving them a faith step with a corresponding action. He's saying, here is your faith step. You turn from your sin, you repent, and then you act it out by going through the waters of baptism. Come on, somebody, if you're repentant of your sin and you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. Because that's how you act out your repentance. That is the biblical command for the way that you show that you've repented of your sin. Paul does the same thing with the James Scripture. What does he say? He says, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You know it's your faith that saves you. But what happens? Your faith then acts and you confess with your mouth. Come on, I'm not about a quiet Christian. I'm not about a confessionless Christian. Because if I truly believe in my heart and the resurrected Jesus, come on, my mouth won't be able to shut up about it. My faith is going to act and I'm going to do something about it because the nature of saving faith is it does not just do nothing. The nature of saving faith is that it does something about the confession that it holds. That's the nature of saving faith. Okay, let's look at repentance and faith as we finish today. Firstly, repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a turning. Let me say this, repentance is more than just saying sorry. See, oftentimes we think of repentance as saying sorry to God for the wrong that we've done. This is what it says in Corinthians. It said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leaves, leads to death. Let me tell you this this morning. You can feel sorry about something, but not want to change. And we all know that because we've all been there, haven't we? You feel bad about something, feel bad about a situation, feel bad about a behavior, feel bad about something you said, but you're not really going to change the way that you act. The Bible has a word for that. He, the Bible calls that worldly sorrow that leads to death. Repentance is more than that. See, what repentance is, is a turning. It's a turning away from and a turning to. It's a turning away from my old behavior and a turning to the person of Jesus. Now, I want you to get this today because oftentimes in the world, we will do a turn away from. So we'll turn away from a certain diet because you want to eat more healthy. We will turn away from McDonald's and two carrots, you know. This is, all, this is what the world does, right? You'll turn away from a certain way of behaving because you understand that it's harmful for you and then you turn to something instead. 
that's not repentance. Because the pivot point is still you. It's still centered around you. Repentance is more than that. It's a turning away from and a turning to. Many times, hear my heart today, many times when people come to Christ or when they grapple with this decision to come to Christ, it's because of what they perceive they will sacrifice. That's the turning away from. And if you're in this place with that grapple, I need you to know you've only got half of the story. Because repentance is more than a turning away from. It's a turning to a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. See, the gap that you left when you turned from is quickly filled by the one that you're turning to. In fact, that thing that you're turning from is like water that you'd have to drink again from. But when you turn to Jesus, it's water that never runs dry. You never thirst again. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance is a turning away from and a turning to God. See, the truth is this. Repentance is the thing that follows our faith, our turning away from and a turning to. See, I don't want anyone here to come under any feelings of shame and condemnation as I say this because, man, my heart was so, when I wrote this message, I thought about new believers and I thought about people who perhaps had got saved out of uh, broken backgrounds and who genuinely repented of their sin and came to Christ and then for whatever reason stumbled. And I didn't want anyone to come under any feelings of shame or condemnation as I talked about the nature of repentance. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I turned away from, but then I fell back into, does that mean my repentance wasn't genuine? Chances are if you're even asking that question that it was. And actually the journey of repentance is sometimes like learning to ride a bike. You remember how you learned to ride a bike? You know, your parents probably helped you. They took the training wheels off. They set you up and you went a couple of rotations and then chances are you probably fell off. And what did you do? You dusted yourself up. You straightened the bike. You got on again. And maybe this time you went a little further. The same thing happens. You, you fell off. So what did you do? You dusted yourself off. You straightened the bike. You tried again. You didn't get discouraged because you understood that sometimes falling off is part of the process of learning. And you fell off again. And you got up again. And you fell off again. And you got up again until you learnt to ride that bike. Friend, the greatest tragedy would not be that you fell off. The greatest tragedy would be if you did not get up again. Persevere. In getting back up. Persevere in repentance. Secondly, saving faith. Now, if the evidence of repentance is turning from your sin, what is the evidence of saving faith? The truth is this, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, what he does is he gives you a new nature. I don't know if anyone used to watch that old MTV show, Pimp My Ride. <laughs> that is not where you thought I was going. What was the rapper's name, Exhibit? Of course I think Frosty will know that. Oh no, you only, the only rapper you know is Eminem. <laughs> Eminem is Frosty's favorite. Was it Exhibit? Pimp my ride? Sometimes I think that we, we think that when Jesus comes into our lives, that that's what he does to our lives. He like pimps them out. He makes them better. 
I need you to know today that when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't make you a better version of the old you. He makes you a new you. Come on, you're not a souped up version of the old person you used to be. You're not a souped up person of the old life that you used to live. No, 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 the old is completely gone and the new has completely come. You are not a better version of the old you. Come on, somebody, you are the new you. The old has passed, the new has come. You've been given a new nature. You've been given a new DNA. That means that those old attitudes, those old habits, those old behaviors, you can't shop from that wardrobe or that shop anymore because they don't look good on you. You're a new creation. Those old fruits, those old ways, that old man, that don't look good on you anymore because you are a new you. And just like the old nature had the old fruits, new nature has new fruits, fruits of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, my friends, is the evidence of the saving faith that is at work in you. That's the evidence of your character transformation. That's the evidence of faith at work in your life. See, it is my expectation that when someone gives their heart to Jesus, they will become more loving, more patient, more self-controlled. Hello. As faith begins to work, notice that I didn't say perfectly loving. Notice that I didn't say perfectly good. Notice that I didn't say perfectly self-controlled. That, friends, get this, that's where we're going. Come on, somebody, that's the goal. That's the call of your life. And God, is, God doesn't do unfinished projects. He's faithful to complete that which has started. That is where you're going. That's the goal. That's where we're going. But actually, on the meantime, we're on a journey, aren't we? A journey of becoming. See, the truth is this. I don't necessarily focus on perfection because that can be discouraging to me. Do you know what I focus on? I focus on growth. Like a tree. Planted in God's grace, love, and mercy, bearing the fruit of the Spirit until He comes again. If the band would like to come and join me. You see, the truth is this. Sometimes in the Christian journey, we get in. We get saved. We give our lives to Jesus. And then we start looking around at these other saints who've been walking with Jesus for like 30 years. (laughs) And we're like, oh my gosh, I don't pray as much as them. I don't fast as much as them. I'm not as patient. They patiently wait for their car park, and I'm like, ha! (laughs) You know, (laughs) friend, you were never designed to be conformed to their image anyway. Actually, you've got a higher goal. You're called to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so I'm not going to look to the left or to the right when I'm supposed to be looking to the one whose image I am truly, truly being called to be conformed to. See, the truth is this. A tree is never at its biggest when it is first planted. A tree is never at its biggest or most glorious when it is first planted. But no, what does it do? It sends its roots down deep. And it just focuses on growing and bearing fruit. Fruit of love, fruit of joy, fruit of peace, fruit of patience until Jesus comes again. Friend, I'm asking you today, are you growing? 
Are you planted like a tree in love, in God's love, in God's mercy, in God's grace? See, the truth is this, like any tree, we go through seasons of pruning. Like any tree, we go through seasons, perhaps we are not bearing as much fruit as we'd like. We go through seasons where we're battered by storms. The point is not to get encouraged or discouraged about how much fruit you're bearing. The point is to stay planted. Planted in His Word. Planted in His love. Planted in His grace. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit until He comes again. There are those in this place today who the truth is you have fallen off the bike and you have been genuinely considering not getting back on. And I want you to know today that we as your brothers and sisters in Christ, because just so you know, this is our family. We are not disappointed. But we will be heartbroken if you don't get back up. See, at our church on Sunday, my pastor always says when people give their hearts to Jesus, he says, welcome home. And I love that. I love that in our house, across all of our churches, every Sunday we get to be part of the miracle of welcoming people home. Last Sunday in our 10 o'clock service, someone, a boy ran into the service in the second song. First time in church, knelt at the altar in worship, gave his heart to Jesus, and then in crunchy time, came up and got a crunchy for it. (laughs) Because this is Elam. I love that. What a privilege that every Sunday we get to see people at the altar coming home. But I need you to know today that God is equally as delighted to say welcome back home to every wandering heart who has wandered away and yet in this moment is wandering back home. In a moment, I am going to be absolutely privileged to welcome people into the kingdom for the first time. And I'm gonna be equally as overjoyed to welcome back the wandering heart who at this moment is wandering home. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you in this place, I just ask right now that you raise your hand.